John chapter 11, verse 25 this morning. We are now six weeks into an eight-week worship series looking at the great I Am statements of Jesus out of the Gospel of John. And this morning we come to I Am the Resurrection and the Life, the words that Jesus declares in John chapter 11, verse 25. And we're going to be looking at that declaration in just a few moments. But before we do, we've been seeing every week that Jesus is not making these great I am statements in a vacuum. There are other things going on. There's a framework, if you will, within Jesus's words. And I want to first begin there this morning, just reminding us of sort of the framework uh, that surrounds this declaration that Jesus makes, because that's important too. The first one is this. He's making these words surrounding the death of someone that he dearly loved. Uh, he is in the midst of a group of people who are in mourning right now. Lazarus has died. And one thing that you and I, I think, need to contemplate, consider, is that these people in Bible times always lived with the reality of death. And that I think that served them well. Because again, I think that they lived every day knowing one day I'm going to die. And that somehow that was always an inspiration and a motivation because back then, obviously, they didn't live as long as we do now. And death was something that was constantly and continually occurring around them. I mean, one of the ways we sort of get smacked with this in the passage is where Jesus is getting ready to go up and actually raise Lazarus from the dead, and, and his sister Martha says, oh, but Lord, you know, he's been in there for four days. His body smells by now. It, they, their senses were filled with death. They, they understood what a dead body looked like, what it smelled like, all of that. They lived with that reality. You and I don't anymore. And the longer history goes, the more I see men and women sort of we, we try to distance ourselves from death as much as possible. We try to dismiss death as much as possible from our lives. We might even deny death. But in order to truly be set free, Jesus said, you've got to know the truth. And you've got to not only know it in your head, you've got to embrace the truth. Then we're really free. And so I want to begin this morning by speaking some truth out in this auditorium and those of you that are watching over live stream this morning, because in order for us to really be free and to truly be alive and experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, we need to look at death from God's perspective. And what does God say about death? Well, first of all, that every one of us is going to die. It is appointed unto men, once to die, and after this, the judgment. Every last one of us in this room one day is going to die. Unless we are part of the generation that is alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture of the church, every human being is going to die. But here's what the Bible says about death. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. That's how we should look at death. See, 
Paul goes on to say, I, I would, if it was up to me, I'd rather depart and be with Christ, which is far better than anything you and I could ever experience here on earth. The Bible tells us so many things about death. I get asked this question all the time as a pastor, and I'm getting ready to do another memorial service this Thursday over at Gilbert Memorial Park. Pastor, what happens to us that when we die? Well, the Bible's clear about that. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to depart from this body is to be present with the Lord. Boom. You see, death, according to God, is a split-second transition. Death is not the end. You and I are going to live forever. In fact, every human being is going to live forever. It's just a matter of, are we going to live in glory for all of eternity, or are we going to live apart from God for all of eternity? That's the only question. Death is a split-second transition. And the Bible tells us that if when we die, we're present with the Lord, it also tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy. This is what the Bible says about the reality of death. And so death should not be something that you and I fear. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus Christ came to this earth as the resurrection and life so that he could deliver all of us from a fear of death so that we don't live in that anymore, you see. And that's why Paul then in 1 Corinthians tells us, Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ took the sting out of death for every last one of us that knows him as our Savior. And so when Jesus Christ is saying, I am the resurrection and the life, it, first of all, is in the framework of the fact that these people lived with the reality of death. And I think you and I need to do that more and more. Now in our society, we, we push death and, and, and all of that and try to distance ourselves as much as we can from it. People aren't around death anymore. They don't even know what a dead body looks like anymore. Uh, they very rarely, memorial services and funerals continue to be something that even before the pandemic was something that was shrinking in size. From the time I became a pastor 36 years ago to now, over those years, you see less and less people dealing with death. It's like they don't even want to deal with it. They don't want to think about it. They, they want to dismiss it. They want to deny it. And yet, if we're not willing to face reality, we're never really going to live. <laughs> and we're not going to get the most out of life because that specter of death is always going to be hanging over us in a negative way rather than realizing that death for us is the day you and I get to see Jesus face to face. That's the way I want us at the Oasis to think about death, is how many more days till I get to see my Jesus face to face? See, I'm at the point in my life where even if I live to the normal average age expectancy of an American male, I've only got about 25 maybe years to go before I see Jesus. I'm okay with that. I hope you're, some of you may be even sooner. 
Some of you, you're so young, you got maybe a few years to go yet, but at the same time, the youngest person in here, I'm looking around, maybe, I don't know, 10, 12, something like, oh, well, we got baby, okay, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair, okay. But even then, okay, maybe 80, 85 years till they see Jesus? I mean, when you think about it in the scale of eternity, that's not a long time. And that's what we should be thinking about. How long till I get to see Jesus face to face? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I want us to talk about relationships here because, again, Jesus was uttering these words, I am the resurrection and the life, outside the tomb of someone that he was very familiar with. In fact, he was very dear friends with. He said Jesus had close friends. There were people in Jesus' life that he had developed a close bond of friendship with, you see, in his life. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you see Jesus and his disciples always interacting with them. They opened up their home, and they had Jesus and the disciples over for dinner a, a lot of times, not just the time that's recorded there where, you know, Martha's all, you know, frazzled and everything. And I mean, they were constantly and continually opening up their home to Jesus and having this intimate friendship with Jesus. And you find that here in this passage. Look at a few of these verses with me. Look, first of all, at, at chapter 11, verse 3. Even the bystanders... And the sister sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, look, the one you love is sick. And that word love there is not the agape, it's the phileo. It's, it's the word that speaks about an intimate, close friendship. The sisters are saying, your close friend, Jesus, is sick near unto death. Notice in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, because it wasn't just like God loves everybody in the whole world. He does. But this speaks about a fact that they had an intimate, close relationship and friendship. See, even Jesus had that on earth. There were some of his disciples that he was closer to than others, not because he was playing favors, but simply because they were willing to go further than others were with Jesus, just like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It wasn't like Jesus was playing favors with them, they were the ones that were pursue him. They were the ones that opened up their home to him. They were the ones that built and took the time and the energy and effort it takes any relationship to build that closeness. You and I can't build relationships with each other without effort on our part. And that's why the Bible says, you want a friend? You want friends? Be a friend. Be a friend. They were friends to Jesus. And then look over at verse 36. Thus the people who had come to mourn said, look how much he loved him. And again, the word love there in verse 36 of John 11 is the word phileo. Friends, Jesus wasn't just raising anybody from the dead here that day. He was raising a very dear, close, intimate friend of his which is why the Bible even records that as Jesus stood outside of his tomb and realized the ravages that sin caused to those that he dearly loved, he began to weep as well because he saw what sin and death had done that was never really part of God's plan. There's one other part of the framework that I want us to see today before we actually get into the declaration of what Jesus said. And that is that nothing else 
in the ministry of Jesus moved the needle more towards those in authority wanting him dead than this. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, it was so public. There were so many people there, and it was so close to Jerusalem, because if you go back to chapter um, 11, and you look at verse 18, Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, was less than two miles from Jerusalem where all the religious leaders were, right? So it was really close, and this was public. The other times Jesus did healing and maybe even raised a couple people from the dead, like the widow's son and like Jairus' daughter, they were very private events that very, very few people knew about. And not that those events and, and what happened wouldn't have trickled out, but unlike today, it would have taken time for those events to, to be known. This was, there were lots of people there, and it was close to Jerusalem. So notice what happens. Verse 53 of John 11. So from that day, they planned together to kill Jesus. It was like, that's it. That, that's the last straw. This guy can't go around raising people from the dead. That's making us look really bad, because we're not going to embrace him. We're not going to agree that he's the son of God who came into the world to save mankind. We're, we're not going to go there. So we need to get rid of him. And then if you go all the way over to chapter 12, I know we're getting into another chapter, but look at verse 10 and 11. It says there that even the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus too. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jewish people from Jerusalem were going away and believing in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, Lazarus, who was dead, and everybody knew he was dead, is now walking around saying, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus rose me from the dead, and he's the son of God. And there were people coming in droves to believe in Jesus and to believe in God like never before, you see. What a witness, what a testimony Lazarus was. So not only were the Jewish authorities wanting to then murder Jesus, they wanted to get rid of Lazarus too because of the influence and the impact his life was having. You know, you and I may not have experienced a physical resurrection, but every last one of us in this room and those watching by live stream that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have experienced a spiritual resurrection. And we also have a testimony about the power of God and the reality of God in our life. And oh, that our life would shine upon Jesus and give him glory and bring him glory like Lazarus did after he rose from the dead. That we are called to be witnesses and to testify to who Jesus really is. And so that just like people saw the reality of Jesus in Lazarus, they should also be able to see the reality of Jesus in us as well. That's the framework. Well, let's go back to John eleven twenty five, 25, and let's look at the declaration proper by Jesus. And then we'll look at some verses surrounding that to end this morning. Jesus said to her, I am, which we know goes back to the book of Exodus, where Moses and God were having a conversation, and Moses says, if I go back to them and tell them who sent me, 
Who am I supposed to say, God? And he says, tell them I am that I am. I am, in front of all these metaphors that we've looked at, whether it was the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the shepherd of the sheep, all remind people that he is the self-existent God of the universe that he's self-reliant, self-defined, always was, always is, and always will be. He is the great I am. But then Jesus goes on to add, I am the resurrection and the life. The life. Let's take life first. Jesus is saying in this phrase, first of all, that anything that is alive in the universe, anything that has life, it came from me. I created everything that has life. In fact, Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, all things in the universe were created by him and for him, whether they be invisible or visible, whether they be thrones or principalities. In other words, Jesus Christ created the, the microscopic particles that make up our universe, as well as the greatest massive star that's out there somewhere in the galaxy. Jesus Christ made it all. He made every human being. There is no human being who's ever come into existence that did not come into existence without Jesus Christ. He is our life. And everything physical that is alive, that's ever been alive, finds its source in Jesus Christ. He doesn't need anything outside of himself to be alive. But everything that is alive needs Jesus to be alive and stay alive. He is the life. But he's not just the source of physical life. He's also saying here, I'm also the source of all spiritual life. That one cannot be spiritually alive and have a relationship with God without me. I am your spiritual life so that everyone here that has spiritual life, has the Holy Spirit living within you, it had to come through Jesus, which is why next week we're going to look at, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, Jesus Christ is the source of all life, physical and spiritual. We don't get to have real life apart from him. And that's why he asks, and invites people, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you even rest beyond life. But it's got to come through Jesus, the life. But he's also the resurrection. And what he's saying there is, again, that anything that is resurrected, that can be dead and stand up again, it has to be me that does it. Now think about this for a minute. You, you and I, we maintain hope in things whenever there's still some life left, right? That, that's usually the way we approach things. I mean, even in a physical way. If they're still clinging to life, if they've still got some kind of brain activity or something going on, all that, that that's how we approach things. And even like on a physical level, you know, those of you that are into like plants and horticulture and all that, you know, you realize that 
that as long as maybe there's a bud left or, or some just little twig or something, I, I can work with that if you've got the skills and you can sort of bring it back, right? As long as it's not completely gone and I've got something to work with there, we're good, right? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I don't need anything. You, you can give me nothing to work with, and I can bring life out of nothing. I, I, I can bring something out of whatever you have thought was beyond hope I can do something with. I am the resurrection and the life. Which, going back to him and his ability to be able to create, let's not forget that we believe that Jesus Christ created the universe out of what? Nothing. He didn't need something to start with like you and I do to create something. Now, the reason that's important, and again, and why I think it ties into our, our worship of him, is even throughout our life, you and I will look at certain things in our own life or situations in other people's lives, and we will go, oh, it's beyond hope. That, that person, they're, they're beyond help or hope or, you know, that, that relationship beyond help or hope or, you know, we always go there, right? It's like we, we determine somehow a line that has been crossed to where nothing can be done. What Jesus is reminding us of is you can go as far past that line as you want to. I can take something that you as a human being thinks there's no way you're ever going to be able to work with that. And Jesus says, give it to me. Give it to me. Watch me. Because I have no limitations. I don't need to start with something in order to make something. And I don't need to even have life to be able to bring life to something. So whatever, in a sense, is dead, you think, beyond hope, beyond help, you and I have to come to our God with the realization, no, 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 there is nothing impossible, nothing too hard for our God. He is the resurrection and the life. He can bring life where there's death. That's our God. Oh, and by the way, as the resurrection, the Bible teaches that one day, every last human being who's ever been born will hear the voice of the Son of God, just like Lazarus did, and that Jesus Christ will raise everyone from the dead. Everyone. Everyone one day will hear the voice of Jesus Christ. So that means whether you're here this morning and you're a Christian or not, one day the Bible says Jesus Christ will raise your dead body and my dead body from the grave and will call us before him. Those of us that have accepted him as our Savior, we will enter into the joy of the Lord as we already have the moment we die. It's simply that Jesus now is going to give us, each of us, a body to live in and that's fit for all of eternity. And for us as Christians specifically, that means a body that will never wear out, never get sick, never die anymore. It is a body that will last forever and ever and ever because he's the resurrection and 
the light. Now, I personally believe, because some of you are thinking, well, I already have a family member or friend up there in heaven. Are they just a disembodied spirit that's just sort of floating around up there until their body is resurrected by Jesus someday in the future? No, I don't believe so. I believe the Bible teaches that each of us gets an intermediate body to live in until he resurrects our body in the future resurrection. There's clues to that throughout the Bible. One of them is in 2 Corinthians 5, where the Bible says that if we lay aside this earthly tent or tabernacle, is how it describes our body, that we have a building of God made without hands, the Bible says. In other words, God made us another body. Now, that could also be referring to the future resurrected body as well, but let me give you another reason why I believe that. Mount of Transfiguration. Two Old Testament saints appear alongside of Jesus with Peter, to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are Moses and Elijah. Well, the future resurrection of their body has not happened yet, right? It's still future for all of us. And yet, the disciples saw them in a body, Moses and Elijah. They weren't disembodied spirits. They weren't ghosts floating around. They had a body. And I believe that God clearly says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he understands that's the way we know ourselves. That's the way we relate to each other. And obviously, Jesus is going to have a body for the rest of eternity. That's how we're even going to relate to him, just as they did on earth. So I believe that there is always a body involved, even when we die. But one day, the resurrection of the life is going to raise all of our bodies and then we're all going to go into eternity. Again, some to eternal glory, some not. Some who've said, no thanks, God. I'm not going to accept your invitation. I'm going to live eternal life my way apart from you. So we've seen the framework of this declaration, and we've talked a little bit about the declaration itself. I want to get into just for a moment, the reality here that I think is where I want to move this all to because it really ties into our worship of God. I want you to follow along with me as I pick up the conversation between Martha and Jesus beginning in chapter 11, verse 21. Martha, when she sees Jesus and Jesus finally gets there, right? Because if you know the story, you know that they sent word to him while Lazarus was still sick, not that he had died. And Jesus purposefully stayed for a couple more days, and then he left. So Martha and Mary, both in this passage, the first thing that they say to him, and I don't think it was so much a rebuke as it was regret, but probably a little bit of a disappointment, is, Lord, if you had have been here before he died, you know, things would have been a lot different. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, she has some faith to believe that if Jesus would have gotten there before he died, that he could have healed him of his sickness. 
but there's no way she's even thinking about resurrection from the dead. But now notice what she says in verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God the Father, God will grant to you. In other words, she's good theology, right? She's like, she, she understands that Jesus and God the Father have this close, intimate relationship with each other and that they're constantly communicating with each other and she knows that they're tight with each other. She's like, I, I know you and God the Father can work things out. So I, I'm good with that, right? I, I've got that kind of understanding. Jesus replies in verse 23, your brother will come back to life again. And in verse 24, again, good theology. She believes in a future resurrection. She says, well, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. She's got that down. So, so she believes that there's, first of all, that there's this special relationship that Jesus has with the Father. And she believes that there is a future resurrection coming that the Bible talks about. So she's got that down, right? Again, nothing wrong with her theology. Then Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he physically dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never spiritually die, verse 26. And then he turns to her and says these very important words. Do you believe this? And honestly, that's a question that I think Jesus is asking every last person in this room and those who are watching this morning. Because that's really the key. Do you believe who I say I am? Do you believe I am who I claim to be? Every last human being's got to come to grips with that. Do we believe or not? And if I really believe something, like anything, it's going to change the way I live. If I really believe Jesus is who he said he is, then my whole life is going to look, start looking different. My values, my priorities, the things that, that I do and that I don't do, and all the things I spend my time and, and money and all this on, it, it will all start to change if that's really what I believe. Because again, the reality of death is that there's way more to my existence than just this pitily little few years I have on this earth. Even if I live into my 80s or 90s, which is a good long life. Compared to eternity, that, that's like a grain of sand on the seashore. Because you're still going to be existing in some form and in some place a billion years from now. And that 90, 80 years on earth, really, in the scheme of things, isn't that much. So am I living with that in mind? Do you believe this? And she replied, good theology. Yes, Lord. There she, you're the Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Now, why am I going through this little exchange between Martha and Jesus? Because I want us to understand something very important. When it comes to Martha's theology, she checks all the boxes. She, 
She's got it down. She'd get an A in Bible class. Right? And yet, and yet, what I want us to see is, no matter what our view of Jesus, it always falls short of the reality. You see, she, she had a pretty high view of Jesus, right? But not high enough. Because her response was, Lord, if you had been here before my brother died, then he wouldn't have died. But it wasn't high enough to think, oh, you're so great, you could even raise him from the dead. Now, why I say that, and why this so ties into our worship of him is it we all should strive throughout our earthly life to keep growing in our opinion of who Jesus is that that's part of our Christian life that throughout our time with him as our savior our view of Jesus our opinion of Jesus of who he is should just throughout the years just continue to get greater and greater and greater. But we must also come to the, the realization and the reality that no matter how great I think he is, no matter how big I think he is, even the, the person in this room or those watching over live stream this morning, that God would say, you have the highest opinion of me of anybody else in that room. You have the, the highest view of God of anybody. It would still fall short of reality. In other words, however great you think Jesus is, you know what we need to come to grips with? He's even greater. No matter how big you think Jesus is right now in your life, guess what? He's even bigger. No matter how wonderful you think Jesus is, he's even more. And we should never try to reconcile that tension. That as we grow to see him in a greater, bigger, more wonderful way, to be in more awe and wonder of him, that we always go, but you know what? I'm still a human being, even as a Christian. And there's no way my little finite human mind is ever going to see him the way he really is. The only day that happens is the day that you and I go to see him face to face. Then the Bible says we will see him as he is and we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will see him in his reality and in all his glory. And I think when we each see him in glory, this will come back to us. Jesus, I thought you were great, but you're even greater than I could have ever imagined. You're, I thought you were beautiful. You're more beautiful and glorious than, yeah, no words. I know that song came out years ago, I, I Can Only Imagine. I know there's a lot of people that think, oh, I'm, I'm going to say this. Or that. I'll be honest, I, I think when you and I see Jesus, and we see the love in his eyes that he has for each of us, and we see him in his unhindered glory, I don't think we'll say anything. 
at least for a while, I think we'll be just dumbfounded. And I want us to be okay with this, though, because that's developing that heart of worship, of knowing that no matter how big I think my God is, he's bigger than I can imagine. And the reason I want us to come to grips with that is because that really, when, when life, as they say, the rubber meets the road, that's really what helps us through life is realizing that my God is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't need anything to work with. He can bring life to things that are dead. And no matter how great I think my God is, he's even greater than I could ever imagine. No matter how big I think God is, he's even bigger than I could ever imagine. There is no limit to him. He is the infinite God. He is the great I and Martha was going to realize just again a little bit more of who Jesus was in just a few minutes because like her sister Mary oh Lord if you had just gotten here before he died you could have prevented his death and Jesus is going to walk up to that tomb of Lazarus in just a few moments and go Lazarus come forth and he who was dead is going to walk out of that tomb that's who Jesus is. I don't know what you're struggling with in your own life. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's bothering you or, you know, all of that right now. But here's what I know. That if you invite Jesus in to your life and into every life situation, you will find that your God is more than enough for you and for whatever that is, more than enough. Because however big you think he is, however great you think he is, remember, he's always greater. Always greater. Could we stand and pray? God, I pray today that every last one of us, God, would allow the weight of your glory to rest upon us, and that in some small way, God, our view, our opinion of who you are and what you are maybe has just been raised, just the needle moved just a little bit. And yet, God, as we raise our opinion and view, as, as we lift you up and exalt you even more in our minds and hearts than maybe we ever have before, God. May we leave room always for the fact that as human beings, even those who love you, God, we can never fully appreciate the reality of who you are until we see you that day in glory. We will always in some way, even if it's unintentional, underestimate our God. You're always, always greater and bigger than what we imagine you to be. So God, as we go into an opportunity for us to worship you, God, may we worship you like never before. May we invite you in and realize, God, that you are more than enough for each of us 
in whatever life brings our way. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.